I think it's Wednesday the 13th of February because it's got to be Valentine's Day tomorrow, 2008. We're on week six of the Beatitudes. And this one is called A Different Way of Loving, A Different Way of Living. Um, I've been captured by the whole business of what it means to be in Christ and how we don't, if we don't understand it, we can't begin to live in it. Um, I think the next baton meeting, I'm going to do something in the afternoon, uh, following on from the, um, as I started it last time, new for old. Because we, if we don't realise the legal transaction that took place, uh, we'll never live in the new. We'll be constantly battling with living in the old. <coughs> so as I was praying and pondering over this week's message, I felt the Lord said, a different way of living, a different way of loving. So I'll try to unpack that as we go along. We do really need to develop the art of meditating or thinking deeply on the scriptures, on things that God speaks to us about. And I'm struck, stuck with the one that love never fails at the moment. You know, we've been looking at the uh, love chapters and, and I'm stuck with that one because it, does, it just doesn't, because he never fails us. He's magnificent all day, every day. He always has been and he always will be. That's immutable, what you were talking about, Sue. He never changes and you know I think I heard last week about the man who asked that, that God why the angels kept saying holy 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 mm. around the throne all the time Yeah, and the answer was every time they went around the throne they saw something else about him and they went wow holy 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 <laughs> on the CD after I just thought that was so brilliant wow holy 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 brilliant no wonder Graham's called his, um, his book company Brilliant Book House so last week we looked at several scriptures, the Beatitudes so-called, which is Matthew 5, 3 to 12, Philippians 2, 5 to 11, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, and 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 8. And we'll go back to them in a minute. We're, we're so familiar with them that we pretty well know them by heart, but there's a gap, isn't there, between knowing them and living them. Mm. And when you look at these words, what we see so clearly is a different way of living and a different way of loving. And you know I've been wrestling with this whole question of, of what Bob Mumford calls Eros love versus agape. Have I got it right that time? Agape? Mm. Agape? Agar? Ah. Agape. Comes out differently every time I say it. So these scriptures sum that up nicely. They're exactly the opposite of what our old fallen nature wants to do. And there's no place for revenge or anger or retaliation, no taking of offence and simmering over what you want to say in the Christian walk. There's no carnal moments and no time off for good behaviour even. <laughs> Can't have a carnal moment. You, don't find, you find you don't enjoy it like you think you will. I'll just have a carnal moment and tell them what I think. You don't enjoy it because it offends and it, well, it doesn't offend the Holy Spirit, it hurts him. It's all about relationship and how if yours is close with God, you don't want to disturb or disrupt it by being silly and carnal and breaking fellowship. And that is what it all boils down to. I love you too much 
to want to break my fellowship with you so I'm not going to indulge myself in bad behaviour that's where you get your choice someone does something you're piqued or you're upset and you think I don't want to do that I could go there I've every justification to say now look if I did that to you you'd do X, Y and Z but I don't want that because of the relationship you make the choice and you think it's not worth it there's no eternal value in it so uh, the king and you or in my case the king and I that is so we see a classic example in Psalm 51 where David says you know this was the sin with Bathsheba and um, the murder of her husband against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight he knew he'd broken fellowship with the God that he loved so much his carnal desires overtook him they saw Bathsheba because it's saying James you look at it you think about it and you do it uh, and he was upset by the fact that he'd broken fellowship with God so we have to learn to do what Graham Cook calls moving the opposite spirit so how do we do this what's the practical on it it's by practicing the art of moving in the opposite spirit to that which is coming against us so what is the opposite spirit it's God's perspective on the situation the fruit of kindness only grows in bad soil the fruit of anything only grows in the bad soil it grows in the opposite soil so if someone's unkind to you you be kind to them you like retaliate with kindness lovely opportunity to be kind when someone's being unkind lovely opportunity to dial it down when someone's getting angry you do not have to react to their reactions you can respond so what is God's perspective he loves all the way all the time has no preferences he loves everybody saved and unsaved just the same doesn't get offended by us or angry with us or ticked off with us he knew what he was getting took me a long time to realize that he didn't start to love me the moment that I believed on his son because I got saved and got this side of the line and thought the other people are terrible you know and then I suddenly realized hey up a minute ago I was that side of the line my education started really early on this so he didn't start to love you the moment you believed on his son he sent his son so you could believe and be reconciled God is love, he doesn't just do love. A different kind of loving coming from a different kind of living. He doesn't wake up one morning if he ever went to sleep and thought, I don't think I liked Sue very much this morning, I'm offended with her. That's the immutability of God. He never, ever, ever, ever changes. Either Lord, he says, change not. He's not going to change his mind about you. No matter what, how you respond or react to him, He's not going to change his mind. He's not going to retaliate. If he brings discipline, it has a reason, and it's always for your good. So how does a responding in the opposite spirit look in relation not only to our nearest and dearest, but the bloke that's just beat you to a parking space? Replacing retaliation with blessing. Revenge with no reaction. Anger with peace no defence, no attack 
Making choices all day, every day, flesh or spirit, we get to choose. Natural affection or God's love? Common love or uncommon love? You've always got this choice, eros or agape, you choose. Um, I'm not saying I've got it sus because I haven't. I'm up to my neck in this as well as everybody else. But I know there is a different way of living and a different way of loving. And there are many times during the course of one day that I could make choices that would be against what the way that I know God wants me to go. Every day, little things, you make choices. And each time you do, you are stronger in your spirit man. And the old dog is just dying off. Every time you make the right choice not to react, not to be offended, not to, re not to respond in the way you used to or react. You've been extended mercy and grace. Just make sure you pass it on next time someone's dragging their feet. Remember how long it has taken you to move your feet and don't be impatient with them. He isn't. doesn't stand there tapping his foot and thinking, when are they going to move? So last week I ended with saying that this week we will be looking at replacing an attitude of doubt with an attitude of faith and looking at what it meant to be en Christo or in Christ, which is a term that Paul uses an awful lot of times. So what does it mean to be in Christ? If we don't believe the truth of our position in Christ and what God did for us the moment we were born again, we will live in constant defeat and despair. There was a paradigm shift in our position the moment we believed. We entered into the kingdom of light from the kingdom of darkness. This was as real as your natural birth when you entered into daylight for the first time. That was a shock to the system too. I remember when I was first born again, I didn't know how to be. Joyce said the same thing. We did not know how to react. I knew how to be in my old life, but in the new I was floundering. I did not know what was expected of me in situations. I knew I couldn't be like I used to be. And so it was like paddling there and not knowing, not being able to feel my feet. It took me quite a long time to understand and feel comfortable with what had happened to me. I didn't know how to respond to people. I couldn't do or say the things I'd done before. It was an interesting time. So what is this all about? It's about the Kingdom. The Kingdom of God has come with the advent of Jesus. It comes in our lives as we believe and it will fully come when Jesus comes again. And we're talking about kingdom lifestyle here. Different way of living, different way of loving, different lifestyle, different kingdom, different values. John 18:36. You want to look it up? Shuffle, shuffle. Verse 35. Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, 
My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight, so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now, my kingdom is not from here. For those of you on the discipleship course, we'll be looking at the nature, the character and the attributes of God on Friday this week. He's just inexhaustible. But the point of this scripture is that he's talking about the kingdom is not from here. The kingdom that he rules of it over is um, a hidden kingdom. It's a kingdom of inside and it hasn't come fully yet. It will come when he reigns and rules physically on this renewed earth. So he wouldn't fight and his, his servants didn't fight because his kingdom wasn't from here. So God is inexhaustible. Holy, 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 wow. What a wonderful thing. You will never, ever, 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 ever come to the end of finding out about him. What a prospect. From here to eternity. He's the same and he always will be. So we're going to learn more about this great God of ours because in learning about who he is, you learn to trust him. You can't trust someone that you don't know. So let's go back over the scriptures we looked at last week and we'll start with Matthew 5, 3 to 12 which is the Beatitudes so-called. Verse 3 Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Here's the bit you don't know it. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Make sure that it's falsely that they're saying it, that they don't actually have a basis for saying it. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. That's the New King James Version. And then Philippians 2, 5 to 11. Brilliant this is. I'll start with verse 1, maybe. Therefore, if there is any consolation or encouragement in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. 
Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And then Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, or patience, long-suffering, kindness, goodness or faithfulness, gentleness or meekness, and self-control. Joyce Meyer says love and self-control are the bookends, and we saw that, didn't we? And then finally, the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. This is all the character of Jesus that we're talking about here. It's the fruit of his spirit merged with your human spirit. You have the choice to move in that spirit or in your old carnal nature. Every moment of every day, which spirit are you going to speak out of? So 1 Corinthians 13, 4-8 love suffers long and is kind love doesn't envy it doesn't parade itself it's not puffed up does not behave rudely does not seek its own is not provoked thinks no evil does not rejoice in iniquity but rejoices in the truth bears all things believes all things hopes all things endures all things Love never fails. Different way of living, a different way of loving. Agape is not sloppy. Agape will not stand by and see someone doing something they shouldn't when they know, I think we covered it a couple of weeks ago, or when they see something and they know that it needs to be corrected does not mean that you just draw a veil over everything and just well let everybody do what they want to do you know I've got no opinion on that that is not agape agape loves enough to correct because if you don't correct people what you're letting them do is go on a highway to nowhere so as I said before love father is really speaking to me about this whole question of eros versus agape natural love versus God's love or Graham calls it common love versus uncommon love and the fact that his character and nature are demonstrated in these scriptures 
And it's the Holy Spirit's intention to work into us the very nature of Jesus. You remember the handkerchief? Um, putting the white hanky over like this. You have got imputed righteousness. So all your sin is, is done away with and you have the righteousness of Christ given to you. Something I was uh, tripping into yesterday was the whole business about covenants and how in the Old Testament when two men made a covenant with one another, one of the things they did was exchange robes. So what's happened with us? We've given Jesus our muck. He's given us his robe of righteousness. They also exchanged their weaponry. What have we got? Stand fast, therefore. Put on the whole armour of God. What's Paul saying? He's saying, you've got God's armour. There's an exchange taking place here. You can't stand in the armour that you were dished out with, but God gives you his. In the Old Testament, where God said to Abraham after he'd made a covenant with him, I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. I've wondered about that for many years. What did he mean? He'd just made a covenant with Abraham. And in that unconditional covenant that he made with Abraham, because he put him to sleep, knew Abraham couldn't keep this side of the bargain, he actually committed to be the shield for Abraham. So he was saying, if anyone comes against you, he's coming against me. That's what a covenant meant. If they want to kill you, they've got to kill me first, because I will die for you. That is what the meaning of a covenant was in the, in, in the Old Testament. David and Jonathan made a covenant together and you'll notice they exchanged everything. They exchanged their clothes, they exchanged their belt, their weaponry and they swore to die for each other. It was, it was that. So we, have, we are partakers of the covenant where Jesus said, I will die for you and did. That is what the covenant is all about. So we're covenantally covered with a robe of righteousness because God says that is the exchange I've taken your rubbish here's my new one that's imparted imputed righteousness imparted righteousness is when the Holy Spirit starts to work it in which is what we're talking about now you still remain covered but it begins to get on the inside of you as well as on the outside of you I'm covered over with a robe of righteousness that Jesus gives to me so what we're finding now is as we make our choices so we get cleaner on the inside the thing that Jesus said to the Pharisees was you clean the outside of the pot but you don't clean the inside in other words you're spotless and white on the outside pharisaical but on the inside that's where I want to deal with it and that is what the Holy Spirit is in you for he comes to enable the life of Jesus to live out through you as you make your choices and yield to the Holy Spirit that is actually what happens the character of Jesus begins to be manifested in you and that's what God has determined he will do bring many sons to glory he's not going to give your old nature a makeover I saw this morning when I was praying and talking to the Lord about this he said I cannot put new wine in old wineskins and I saw people trying to stitch out the old wineskin. You know, I'll make this, this will be better, Lord, if I stitch this up like this and patch it up. Susie tried to put something, it just split. He has given us a new wineskin, the new birth, into which he will pour the wine. 
he will not pour the new wine into our old wineskin. It will not contain it. So it's no good trying to make a makeover. It's no good trying to trying to do this. The only way to do it is yielding. The only way is abandonment to the Holy Spirit. The only way is constantly, not my will but yours. That is the only way. And then the Holy Spirit will do all that needs to be done. As the conversation that went yesterday or whenever it was, I've forgotten how to do that. I haven't. Well, that's a relief. So am I steaming away trying to look up and remember how to do what I'm going to need to do this afternoon? No. Only he can do it. He will lead and guide in the way he wants to go. I'm perfectly at peace. Uh, so, because I know I cannot do it. All the while there remains in you a vestige of I can do this. <laughs> You're in trouble, let me tell you. Because you can't. <coughs> the best prayer ever is help. Absolutely the most, the most spiritual prayer you can utter. Help. Because it shows that you are utterly dependent on him for everything. And then it gets easy. So it's the Holy Spirit's intention to work into you the very nature of Jesus. And this is the difference between imputed and imparted righteousness, as I said. He works it in. But first we must know and understand what it means to be in Christ. And I would recommend a book by Colin Urquhart. It's called In Christ Jesus. And it sets out the whole thing very clearly and very succinctly. And it is a book that you want to go back to time and time again. It's absolutely packed with scriptures. Just packed with them. And as you start to go into it, so your understanding begins to grow about the transaction that took place the moment you were born again. Line that up with the 37 things that happened at the moment you were born again, which is Roger Price's teaching, and you begin to see, and the whole issue about what it means to be partakers of the new covenant, and uh, you begin to see who you are. So we cannot do this thing unless we live in the newness of what Jesus did on the cross. And the act of baptism not only witnesses to others your beliefs, but more importantly, it's an identification with Jesus' death and resurrection. You're signifying by going through the water that you are dead and buried with him and raised to new life. And your moment-by-moment -moment choices, as I said, will decide and govern whether you live in the old or the new. Egypt or Canaan's land, the land of promises. And the whole issue of the transformation of the mind is the fact that it rests by faith on the finished work of the cross. That's Romans 12, 1 and 2. might want to look at that one. I pray this every morning. We'll be talking on Friday about the power of proclamation and declaration because the word actually says you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. That's got to come out of your mouth. If you don't actually hear yourself saying things positive about who you are and whose you are and, and making declarations, you will never believe in your heart because you're not hearing it. 
So, responsibilities towards God, mine is headed up. The message you'll note is the same all the time. <laughs> it doesn't matter what I'm teaching about. It's all the, all the same. Jesus is Lord. And let him be. I beseech you therefore, brethren. I mean, that's a strong word, isn't it? I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy, acceptable to God which is your reasonable service and do not be conformed to this world but be transformed, metamorphosed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove because without that you cannot prove what is the good, acceptable and perfect will of God you cannot in your unrenewed mind find that it's impossible you will only find it by being transformed by the renewing of your mind and it rests your mind rests by faith on the fact that as you commit he will do it that's where faith comes in God wants you he pursued you it was his purpose not yours to bring you into his kingdom you are called by the will of God as was Paul in 1 Corinthians 1 one, he said, actually says, if you want to pop in and see it, it's really quite interesting. And you suddenly spot these things. Two major words there, called and will. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. So he didn't choose it, he was called for it. Through the will of God. And our brother Sosthenes is writing his greeting. But you are called by the will of God, as was Paul. Called by the will of God. Romans 8, 7, which as we're quite close to it, we could flip into. Says. 8, 6 we'll go to. But to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. As I've said before, you're always ministering something to yourself. You are either ministering death or you're ministering life to yourself and those around you. By your thought life, you are either ministering life or death. So if, as I started off saying how important it is that you meditate on scripture, you can do it while you're doing anything, doing the ironing, doing the shopping. Just let your mind go back. What's your default position in your mind? Where does it go when it's got nothing to think about? Train it to rest on the finished work of the cross. Train it to go back to the default position of Jesus. And then you'll find yourself, when you wake up in the middle of the night, you're waking up with a song or a psalm or a hymn will come into your mind because your mind is getting renewed it's getting full of something good it's not full of whatever you saw on the television last night I had a young lad here on Monday and as soon as he came in the door I saw in his eyes that he'd been watching something or doing something he shouldn't have done and I thought yeah, I'll have you out of there in a minute <laughs> and uh, he'd pop up and look at me and I think, and uh, we got chatting and it was all very light at first and then I sensed that there was more there and uh, he said uh, do you think we'd ask that? Well, just, just ask the Lord if it's uh, 
if it's all done. Silence is a very good thing when you're ministering to someone. Just let it hang. <laughs> Don't fill it with words, just let it hang. Because in the silence, the Holy Spirit began to speak to him about films that he'd watch. Television. Do you watch so-and-so? No, I wouldn't watch that. Why would you not go there? Then? No, well, because of this. Would you go and see this? No, I wouldn't go and see that film. Uh-huh. So out it all came. <laughs> New James Bond film. God told him not to see it. What did he do? Go and went in. Huh? Uh, so somewhat lighter when he went. You see, whatever you see goes in your eye gate. Whatever you hear goes in your ear gate. And those things and those images will come back to you when you least want them or expect them. And you'll have an impossible time trying to get rid of them. You spend half your time trying to battle your thought life. Because if you hadn't have taken it in in the first place, you wouldn't be having to fight the battle to get rid of it now. So, the carnal mind, the fleshly mind, your old mind, is at war. It's at enmity with God. Because it is not subject to the law of God. I'm in Romans 8, 7 there. Mm. Nor can it be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So there's your statement. You cannot please God in that state of mind. But you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If or since the Spirit of God dwells in you. So you're not in the flesh. You're in the Spirit. Just depends on which thing you agree with at any given moment. The new nature that is given to us by God at conversion desires to please God by being obedient. And you cannot reconcile these two natures. God gave me a picture here when I was writing this. And he said, to try to reconcile these two would be like tying the tails of two dogs together. <laughs> Imagine the scrap that would take place. Hmm. Or putting your best coat on over your scruffiest jeans. You can't put Jesus over on the top. When you put on Christ, you're taking off your old stuff. It's only through the death to sin principle that you can be free to live in the power of the new nature. And I'm not talking about physical death, but the crucifixion which took place on Calvary 2,000 years ago. When Jesus went to the cross, he took not only your sins, he took you. Do not allow the enemy or your own self-pity to distract your attention from the cross. You died with him 2,000 years ago. And the more you look at yourself, the more you will certainly discover of sin, weakness, failure, disobedience, negativity and unbelief. And you will come to the same sorry conclusion over and over again. You're doing the work of the accuser. Don't go there. If, if I start to think I can't do this and go down the tubes, I've had the Holy Spirit say to me a number of times, don't go there. I begin to think about how I could have done something years ago in ministry and how maybe the result would have been different. Don't go there, he says. Don't go there. Because it's absolutely pointless going over and rehashing. Don't live in this ground would say present past, live in present future. Because God has got such things for you 
that he wants you to concentrate. That's why it says about um, reckon yourself therefore dead to sin but alive to God in Christ. Most of us spend more of our time trying to reckon ourselves dead to sin than being alive in Christ. If you actually point towards the fact of yes that is true but God. So every time the enemy comes up and says, oh, you're no good, you've failed again, you've done it. Yes, that is true, but God. And you're out of it right away. Because Jesus delivered you from the power of yourself. He delivered you from your self-centeredness. An exchange took place. You now have the ability to be God-centered. That seed, you remember, I keep knocking on about and banging on about those lovely big pumpkin seeds that we had. Romans 6, 6 and 7. He's talking here about as many as were baptised into Christ were baptised into his death. He's trying to make them understand. Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. What am I looking for? 6 and 7. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, and that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of it, for he who has died has been freed from sin. If you actually sort of picture it, you know, there you are, on a slab, and as I've heard someone say recently, it's no good leaving him on the slab, he might get up and walk away from there, you've got to bury the thing, and he can't get out. <laughs> Knowing this, that your old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. Cast out the bondwoman and her son. If you do not know you have been Christified with Cruz, try that one. <laughs> Crucified with Christ. You cannot believe it. Chalk pops, parkark anymore. <laughs> what do they call them? Spoon Are they spoonerisms? They just come out, don't they? Or try speaking out Galatians 2.20. This is one of the things that I de declare um, over myself from time to time as the Holy Spirit leads. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. As I said, we'll be looking at declaration and proclamation um, on Friday. So, we reckon the old person, the one you were before conversion, dead, in order to be transformed by the renewing of our mind so that we can test what God's good acceptable and pleasing will is for us. As I said before, you can't find this out from your unrenewed mind because the unrenewed mind is set on the flesh. God is not concerned about your past, any of it. 
He's not concerned with your perceived failure. It's been dealt with in Christ. God is concerned about who you are now and who you are going to become. He is consumed by life and possibility. He is consumed by the thought of you becoming the absolute best you can be. And we are learning what it means to belong to a different kingdom with completely different values and be subject to a king who is totally other than the kingdom of darkness. We're in a process. We've been got. We've been had. The Holy Spirit has us. It's wonderful. The gospel then is about the kingdom. Jesus says, the kingdom, it's all about me. It causes a rethink if we thought it was all about us. Eyes off self, onto him. So the other thing I said I would talk about a bit was the fact of doubt and unbelief versus faith. So new life in Jesus begins with an act of faith. We believe what God says and we respond. We were not alive at the time of the crucifixion but we believe that what happened then involved us and we can partake of it. Belief and faith working together. For a while it all goes well and we're full of the joy of the Lord but then the enemy of our soul begins his undermining work putting doubts and fears into our minds inciting us to mutiny in our hearts ministering to the fallen side of our nature. He persuades us that this is a hard walk, too tough, asking too much, whatever it is that he has said to you, you fill in your own blanks. And we begin to believe the lies all over again. We become rebellious, resentful, and an interesting word that the Lord gave me here, capricious. I thought, capricious? So I looked it up. And the dictionary definition of capricious is given to sudden changes, tending to make sudden and unpredictable changes. God gave me that word, so it must apply to somebody. In short, we go backwards fast. Because we were going that way, but it doesn't go the way we want, so we go that way. That's capricious. That precious blood has removed all the obstacles except one. And that one is unbelief. And unbelief is a choice, beloved. You can choose to believe. You can choose not to believe. Let me tell you, if you choose not to believe, you will be the most miserable saint on the planet. The problem largely is that we want to see something, then we will believe. But God says, believe, and then you will see. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Jesus says, Blessed are you if you have not seen and yet believe. So by definition, doubt is the absence of faith. It's the complete opposite. And again, I went into my ordinary dictionary on my laptop to have a look at what the definition of doubt was. Very useful. First one was to think something unlikely, to feel unconvinced or uncertain about something or think that something is unlikely. Not trust somebody or something. To suspect that it is not true, likely or genuine. That somebody is not sincere or trustworthy. And the third bit, uncertainty or mistrust, a state 
or feeling of uncertainty, especially as to whether something is true, likely or genuine, or as to whether somebody is sincere or trustworthy. The fourth effect is fear. The fifth is open to or in doubt, not settled, not certain, settled, foreseeable with confidence or finally proved. Doubt whether if or that. So that's a pretty good negative place to live. Faith on the other hand, this is a dictionary again, belief or trust, belief in, devotion to or trust in somebody or something especially without logical proof. Number two, religion or religious group, a system of religious belief or the group of people who adhere to it. Three, religion, trust in God, belief and devotion to God, her faith is unwavering. Four, set of beliefs, a strongly held set of beliefs or principles. Fifth, loyalty, allegiance or loyalty to somebody or something. Doubt is a mindset that says, I just don't know if God will keep his promises. It's a lack of confidence or assurance in God. Basically, it's a lack of knowing him, who he is and what he's likely to do in any given circumstances. You cannot trust someone you do not know. So doubt involves a settled and persistent choice to live with uncertainty. I don't want to live like that. And there's a little poem. I think I got it from that book we're reading. Lord changed my attitude before it's too late, that one. Doubt sees the obstacles. Faith sees the way. Doubt sees the darkest night. Faith sees the way. Doubt dreads to take a step. Faith soars on high. Doubt questions who believes. Faith answers, I. Silly to doubt when you can live in rest and peace just by choosing to believe what Jesus has done and living and resting in that. It does involve some effort. We have to push away actively push away all the onslaught of doubt that will promptly assail us as we make the choice to trust and rest. You ask Joyce. She's battled to be in a place of peace. And the battle is, and she says, no, I'm trusting. No, I'm trusting. You set your mind and you... You can feel it coming in and no, I'm not having that thought. No, I'm not going there. It is, it is really active, but it does make you strong. When you trust in the provision of man, your perspective of God becomes limited. You're prone to be weary, tired, confused and confounded. Life is an ordeal. Rest in God and it won't be. The Holy Spirit will be brilliant. He is a genius. But he will let you fuss and fret until you learn that that is just no way to go. When you're worried ragged, it's no way to be. So faith is rooted in the person of God. It's rooted in relationship. You cannot blindly trust someone you do not know. Knowing God intimately is the answer to any lack of Bye.
complete that. Knowing God intimately is the answer to any lack of faith. And remember you're on a journey into the heart of the God who loves you to distraction. Don't start thinking you can leap from here to, to being in a place of extreme faith tomorrow. It's as you learn about who he is and you open your heart to believe that he, he, he is who he says he is. If you lay down uh, your rebellion to him, your capriciousness, your, you lay it down and determine, Lord, I'm going your way. That's the only way I can go. You begin to discover him. Because he won't fight you over it. He's, he'll wait you out. He will just outweigh you until you're ready to do it. So you can you can make this as long or as short as you like. So as you begin to discover him, to find that he is the kindest person you will ever meet, that he cannot be anything other than who he is, that if he says a thing, he means it, he won't change his mind tomorrow and withhold from you, the scriptures say in two places at least, I the Lord change not. Um, I'm not sure if that isn't in Micah. And God is not a man that he should lie. That's in Numbers. Nor son of man that he should change his mind. Or repent. And Romans 10, 17. Probably the last. Oh no, there's another. So it's probably the last scripture. So then, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. What we were talking about before. Mm. There is a need to hear yourself speak out the things that God's word says. It does not mean you believe them. As you hear yourself speaking them, you will come to the place of believing them. Well, again, we'll be looking at this on Friday in the discipleship group. Romans 10.10 10 says, We confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord. For with the heart one believes, it says here, to righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. We confess with our mouths, verse 9, the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is not just the salvation experience of getting saved. You are saved, you're being saved and you will be saved. It's a continuing process. So it's not a once off. You just have to keep confessing with your mouth. That's how it comes. By confession, which means agreement with God. Lord, you're wonderful. I believe it. Developing a thankful heart, not a complaining heart. Praise is a lifestyle. I think this is why we're beginning now to have to start with thanksgiving, praise and moving into worship. Because we have got so much to thank him for and so much to praise him for. As you begin to see and your heart begins to open, so you see more and more how much you have to thank him for. When your heart is closed, you can say, well, I don't know what I've got to thank God for. Well, you're breathing, aren't you? <laughs> That'll start you off <laughs> for a minute. You're going to heaven when you die, aren't you? Well, yeah, when you put it like that. Hmm. 
you know. So you may remember that for a year God had me say on waking, Thank you, Lord, you love me. At the beginning of that year, I found I did not actually believe what I was saying. Should I have given up until I did believe it? No. As I heard myself confessing it, and I may say my stomach turned over every time I said it, because I knew I didn't believe it, and I'm thinking, you're a hypocrite. Faith came. I know I'm the beloved of God. I know I'm worth what he paid to redeem me. I know I'm his and he is mine. I know I'm a joint heir with Christ. I know these things in my knower. Confession is made with the mouth. And you can equally be making a negative confession. And your ears pick it up like rabbit, you remember, with his ears picking up what he's saying, and round and round he goes in his negativity, beans in his ears. And you can't be confessing a negative at the same time as confessing a positive. Mm. Finally, a question. What would it take for you to believe that God is unceasingly magnificent? How would your mindset have to change? What attitude adjustment would you have to make? All day, every day, God, unceasingly magnificent. If you had to approach all day, every day, thinking like that, Father, you are utterly amazing, incredible, magnificent, glorious, wonderful. You cannot speak about him without speaking in superlatives. Because as you begin to find out who he is, you just, little words are not enough. And then you run out of big words as well. Because <laughs> how can you describe the indescribable? That is the bride actually talking about her beloved and listening to the heart of the beloved. She will then confess, I am the glorious companion of an incredible king. I don't really mind how you see me this morning. I know I am the glorious companion of an incredible king. And so are you. <laughs> and so are you. And so are you and you and you and you. You are. Whether you know it, believe it or not, you are the glorious companion of an incredible king. We are to share his throne. We have to learn that we're joint heirs. A joint heir can't work alone. They can only act in partnership with another. Heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus. It's so important to dream about these things. She is constantly declaring, I am the highly favoured one of God. I am the glorious companion of the incredible king. Slight mindset change. This is where we should be living. In the knowledge that we're joint heirs with Christ, we shall reign and rule with him. It isn't a fairy story, it's fact. Let's begin to, to live there and come into everything that Jesus died to give us. The scripture says in Isaiah 53:11, He will see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. I want him to see the travail of his soul in my life and be satisfied. Because he did not withhold anything from me. And I don't want to withhold anything from him.
I want him to be satisfied with my response. Don't you? I want to be satis him to be satisfied with it. So next week we will begin to look at this king and you. Amen. Thank you.